Welcome back to Everyday Holiness, a faith indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and I'm pleased to be joined this week by Father John DeRiso. Father John is a Holy Cross priest, graduated from Notre Dame in 1993, as well as in 2001 with his Master's of Divinity, and has done a number of things as a Holy Cross priest that we'll get into. But Father John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. It's good to be here. Glad to have you. We like to start at the beginning, so could you tell us where you're from and what some of your early years were like, please? Sure. I'm from a little whaling village on the north shore of Long Island called Cold Spring Harbor, and I grew up there. My parents still live there to this day, and I have uh, two brothers and a sister, and they and their families uh, live within the tri-state area, we okay. call it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's where I'm, I'm from and attended a Cold Spring Harbor High School. I did not attend Chaminade High School. Okay. Uh, which is the typical high school uh, that Notre Dame men attended. Uh-huh. Uh, I was a public school kid. Yeah. What were some important memories of childhood that really shaped you into the kind of person that you became? Well, I think my parents... I'm grateful to them for choosing baptism for for me and for my siblings. Um, So we were baptized, Mm -hmm. attended Sunday Mass faithfully. Because I was a public school kid, attended CCD, Mm -hmm. liked to uh, rummage through the uh, Catholic school kids' desks. (laughs) Um, No, it was was a a home that really rooted me in, in the faith. And that's probably the best gift that I received from from my parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was f- fun. I suppose growing up not far from New York City, and I went to a really excellent an excellent high school that prepared me well. I think in a lot of respects for for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of relationships with your siblings or wider family, were there any really important moments or relationships that you look back on now with a lot of gratitude? You know. I get so much from my parents, right? I think I got my interest in French from my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom also just was a uh, you know a, a homemaker, so being able to come home to my mom each each day. Mm-hmm. My dad taught me the value of of hard work, and uh, you know just seeing their fidelity over the years too, and. Um, yeah, and my siblings, my younger brother followed in my footsteps to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So, which was, I'm not sure he would call it following in my footsteps, but, <laughs> right. but I was very, I was very glad that he, uh, he chose to come to Notre Dame too. And so we have that connection, but um, it's always nice to go home, visit my younger brother in Connecticut. My sister lives in uh, New Jersey and visit my uh, older brother who lives on Long Island. So, you know, and to have nieces and nephews and it's just a, it's a real gift Yeah, to be able to still go home and still have my parents and, yeah. and actually still go to the family, the old family homestead sure. um, in Cold Spring Harbor, which is a beautiful, beautiful community on the mm. North Shore of Long Island. So a lot of swimming, some boating. It was a, a great place to grow up. Yeah, and I am blessed to have an uncle who is a priest, and I know that that's always a gift back to the family, to have a, a priest in the family who can help with the weddings and baptisms and funerals and things like that, and just have that presence to be able to pray during those you know really important moments of life. Yeah, and it's and it's really a gift and a privilege for the uncle. You know? mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm thrilled to have been able to do that for them, and 
you know, I know that I'm sure there's going to be some weddings on the horizon. Right. But the, old, the oldest is only, I think, about 20. So okay. we've got, we got some, <laughs> A little bit of time. some years yeah. to go before that happens. <laughs> That's great. You know, you mentioned going to public high school, and yet you had this draw at, at one point to come to Notre Dame, a Catholic university. What was it about Notre Dame that, you know, where did you first hear about it or have interest in it? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think, my parents who encouraged me to consider Notre Dame. I admit that I was thinking of another school. I had my heart set on another school, which uh, I won't mention. Okay. It's okay if you do, but... (laughs) And, um, no, and and so I really wanted to go to that school. Yeah. But my parents really wanted me to, you know, wanted me to look at Notre Dame and consider it. Being from Long Island, it felt rather far away. Sure. I, I mean, I think, you know, that was in 1980, you know, 88, mm-hmm. 89. So, you know, I'm grateful to God to have been accepted to Notre Dame. And then when it was decision time, you know, my dad and I made a trip out here and yeah. visited campus and it just felt like home. Yeah. Like it felt great. Uh, I mean, clearly even getting that acceptance letter, it was like, wow. Right. You know, that was, it arrived back in, you know, in the mail back right. then. Right. Yeah, it's um, all, yeah, all email now. Thick right? envelope, yeah, yeah. good, <laughs> thin envelope, not so exactly, good. Right? So yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, they, it was really, I'm grateful to my parents for the ones, they were the ones who suggested I, I really consider Notre Dame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a gift to have that guidance at that point. You're, you're kind of in that liminal period where you're making some of your own decisions, but still need to have that guidance as well if it's, if it's there. So it's a gift. When you got to Notre Dame, what did you study? What were some of those early experiences like? I studied, it was called government back then, so political science and, and French. Mm-hmm. As a, I mean, I decided to add French as a, as a, a minor. And yeah, it, I first lived in Grace Hall, actually, okay. um, for one semester. <laughs> the first well semester, remembered. <laughs> right, the first semester of my freshman year, I lived in Grace Hall. Okay. And then I was in the Notre Dame Glee Club and had a real great core of, of friends in Glee Club who, who pulled me into uh, St. Edwards Hall. Okay. So I ended up transferring to St. Edwards Hall after the first semester of my freshman year. And the Glee Club was really the my my main friend group, sure. uh, my fraternity, and uh, yeah, and it was a real gift for me. But the whole Notre Dame experience was was wonderful for me. Friendships from St. Edwards Hall, and then friendships from the Glee Club, and also it was a the time of really growing in my my life of faith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, like making my faith my own. Yep. Having a real encounter with the Lord on a retreat, campus ministry, doing a, a study abroad experience in France for a year, my entire sophomore year, it was wonderful. So, yeah, I mean, it, there are so many wonderful memories and experiences from my undergraduate days, which don't seem to me to be so long ago, but <laughs> people tell me it was a very long time ago. The years start to add up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> Well, it is it is amazing how quickly time passes. And also, when we have Notre Dame alums on the podcast, I almost feel ridiculous saying, well, what's, what are two or three highlights from your time at Notre Dame? Because it's just such, for most people, such an impactful time and so many memories come flooding back and are seen as a real gift. So I can give you a couple, I think, that just kind of relate to my vocation uh-huh. and how that all unfolded. Yeah. 
I think you know, one was my broad experience in, in France. There was a church, a cathedral, the Cathedral Church of, of Angers, actually. And just going to that cathedral church and sitting in that space and praying, it's not far from the school where we attended class. And it was, for me, just, um, I think, a kind of spiritual, it was spiritually nourishing for mm-hmm. me to go pray mm-hmm. there. I wasn't at all thinking about priesthood or religious life, but uh, I appreciated the beauty and just the history of the cathedral there. And then I think another like another highlight for me in terms of just my coming to this vocation was, you know, being in St. Ed's with one of my you know, my roommate, especially my uh, well my junior year, my roommates my junior year, and then roommate my senior year who my my senior year roommate encouraged me to go to daily mass with him now and then uh-huh. at in St. Edward's Hall. Sure, and he was the hall sacristan, so that you know it was something that I. I wasn't accustomed to going to daily mass, yeah. but he was the one who really uh, encouraged me to attend with him. And sometimes it was just the two of us with Father yeah. Rector, Father Gene Gorski. Uh-huh. But anyway, so maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves. No, know, no, I that's think, great. I think uh, just the sort of memories that stand out are probably, it's, it really comes down to like the friendships, right? Yeah. And those people who are really instrumental in our own um, vocational path. Singing with the Glee Club, you know, singing these, these great hymns and spiritual hymns and and the friendships and relationships there—it's just wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's something that, as the years go by, things that you didn't realize were significant at the time, looking back, you think, right. "Oh my goodness, there's God's grace right, like, right wow, in my how face." Pivotal. Yeah. Right? It was it was a pivotal moment. Yeah. Oh, and and one more memory. It was with the Glee Club. We were on a European tour. It was my senior year. And back then, Father Robert Griffin was our chaplain. Mm-hmm. And he traveled with us everywhere. And one day, we were, we were having, it was mass. And, we, and when we were on Glee Club tours, we would have mass where we could have mass. Sure. And this was just in one of the hotel rooms. So we were all, 40 of us, however many, were all like piled in this hotel room. Griff is there. We have mass. And then it came time to distribute communion. And he was feeling a little weak and just wanted to remain seated. So he called me over and he said, John, you, you distribute communion. And I said, well, but I'm, you know, I'm not authorized. Right. <laughs> and he just lifts his right hand. He makes the sign of the cross on me and he goes, you're authorized. <laughs> and so then I take this, the patent and I distribute communion to these men who were my brothers in the Glee Club, mm-hmm. and such a joy came upon me that, you know, the guy they could see it in my eyes. I mean, I was just, the guys, like, as I was giving them the Eucharist, and I'm thinking, I love these guys, my brothers, mm-hmm. and I'm doing for them right now the best thing one could possibly do for yeah. another human being. Right. It's like, I'm giving them the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that was a major, a major episode, I think, in my vocational discernment. Yeah. Yeah. That your heart, you know, our hearts are on fire at those, at those moments. And to, to notice that I think is, is really important. But you didn't, I mean, you didn't come 
as an old collegian, you know, an undergraduate right. seminarian. So what was, was that your first introduction to Holy Cross was just coming to Notre Dame? And how did you get to know Holy Cross as an order in a deeper way? Yeah, I had a couple of Holy Cross priests as teachers. As an undergraduate, I had a Holy Cross priest as rector. I also attended a Notre Dame Encounter with Christ retreat. Mm-hmm. And it met some Holy Cross priests there. So my yeah, my introduction to Holy Cross was meeting some of the men of Holy Cross. Yeah, in, in the classroom, on retreat, in the residence hall. So but yeah, I did not come to Notre Dame with the seminary on my mind at all. Mm-hmm. And with your interactions with them, I mean obviously you mentioned going to weekly mass as a kid and seeing priests, you know, maybe in a diocesan context or other religious orders, was there anything about Holy Cross that was a little bit different or that attracted you at that time? I thought it was very intriguing to have priest professors. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was wonderful, to, like to have a priest in class, and then he's the one also giving you the Eucharist, mm. right? It, it, that was very powerful. I loved, uh, you know, the idea of having a priest as rector of the hall. Yeah, was was really interesting to me. Coming out of the public school context, I have to say, like it was it was my first Catholic school experience, right? So yeah, so seeing like crucifixes in classrooms, mm-hmm. um, a crucifix in the dining hall, the whole culture of Catholicism, the grotto, obviously the basilica. I mean. Mass in the residence halls. It was very new to me. It was mm-hmm. very new to me. Mm-hmm. I, I quickly came to appreciate it, and just and and I think all of that was doing something with me, sure. doing something to me, right? Seeds that were being sown in me mm-hmm. um, for my own kind of vocational path. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good segue into. Do you remember the first time where priesthood in the context of religious life became a real possibility that you allowed yourself to kind of consider that? Well, it, it's somewhat of a little funny story. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was probably my, my junior year. Actually, I remember it. it yeah. was my junior year. <laughs> and my roommates and I were going to Hesburgh Library, presumably to study. Right. Well, I'm not sure how much studying we got done when we're, <laughs> we were together. But we walked into Hesburgh Library, and there was that portrait of Father Hesburgh mm-hmm. at the entrance to Hesburgh. And, and remember, you remember there were turnstiles there, you know, uh-huh. and stuff. Anyway, so <laughs> as we're kind of going through, I look over at that portrait, and I had we had been talking, I think, about we must have been talking about what we're going to do with our lives. And I said, "Huh, maybe maybe I should be a priest. Maybe I should do that." Mm-hmm. And one of my roommates said, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, you're right. I don't want to do that. Um, which is really funny, right? It was, it was like, so that was um, probably the first time I can remember actually saying Saying the words. Saying yeah. the words, right? But those same, that same roommate who said that, he's also the one who said to me my senior year, you don't want to go from undergraduate direct, directly to law school because uh-huh. that was my that was my plan. Okay. I said you want to do, you want a break between undergraduate and grad school. Do like we're doing. We're doing years of service. You okay. should do that too. Okay. 
And thanks to him, I went over to the Center for Social Concerns and I found a, a program, a volunteer program, and the law school I'd, that I had committed to agreed to defer my admission for a year mm. so that I could do that volunteer program. And so that was a major, a major moment for me, too. So tell us more about what that year of service was. And there must have been this moment where deferring law school, how did, did that grow? Did you end up going to law school or what happened there? So I never ended up going to law school. Okay. So I was accepted to, I mean, the, the school I had committed to was Notre Dame for law school. Yeah. And the volunteer program I ended up doing was the Marist volunteer program. Okay. So the Marist fathers ran a volunteer program for recent college graduates and uh, in different locations around the United States. And um, the Marist brother who organized the, who was at the head of this volunteer program, knew I was from New York and he suggested a site in the Bronx. And I said, no, 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 I want to go like something really di different, really yeah, yeah. new. And so suggested a site in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And that idea appealed to me very much. And so I spent a year at St. Matthew Parish in downtown Phoenix of beautiful community, a poorer community, an immigrant population, mm -hmm. um, a little school, and I just you know, fell in love with it. It was a wonderful experience. The pastor there gave me great service opportunities. I don't think I chose that religious, I think, frankly, I think the reason I chose that volunteer program was that you would live in the rectory and and there was a cook in the rectory. You yeah. wanted to prepare your own meals. <laughs> you know, when I heard about Holy Cross Associates back then or Jesuit Volunteer right. Corps, it was like, well, you live in community, you each take, you know, different turns preparing meals and everything. I said, oh, I don't want to bother with all that. <laughs> um, so I think that's really why I chose the Marist Volunteer Program. Anyway, and, and so here I am living in a rectory right. uh, with a couple of Marists and serving the people of God. Mm -hmm. And it was extraordinary, beautiful, and in a wonderful town like Phoenix. Yeah. And I, I came to really love and appreciate that like Catholic education, primary and junior high school education, the parish life on Sundays, mm -hmm. then also the opportunity for daily mass there. So that, that experience was really a major turning point for me as well. It was the major turning point, I would mm -hmm. say. I mean, I, th I think my parents found out that I was going to become a postulant in Holy Cross because they read it in the St. Matthew Parish Bulletin. Um, <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> they, they were visiting one weekend, and we were having, like, burritos and menudo after Mass. Right, you know? right. And... Um, all of a sudden, my mom sees something as she's flipping through the St. Matthew Church bulletin from that Sunday, and I'm sitting there, you know. So anyway, that it was during that year that I had decided to uh, not go to law school. I contacted the law school and told them, I'm, I'm going to go to the seminary instead. Hmm. Was that hard for you to, to make that change, you know, kind of changing course in your life, or were you so at peace with the idea that it felt like the right thing? I what was, was so I was so at peace with the idea. I hmm. felt so much joy with the with the idea of going to the seminary. It's hard, yeah, it's hard to explain. And what's interesting is, frankly, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful to the voc the vocation director for Holy Cross back yeah, then. Yeah, right. <laughs> was a priest by the name of Father John Conley, mm -hmm. okay, who was then like. 
probably known to many as the longtime rector of Siegfried. Siegfried, sure. But um, Father John Conley was vocation director, and he read a little piece about me in the Catholic Sun, which was the diocesan newspaper. Okay. And in this little story in the Catholic Sun about me during doing service work, this recent college grad from Notre Dame doing service work at St. Matthew Church, it said, and this college grad, John DeRiso, is thinking about the seminary. So John Conley, who had at one time taught at Brigade High School in Phoenix and still received the Catholic Sun, even at Notre Dame here. Uh-huh. And his vocation director, he decides, you know what, I'm going to write a letter to this John DeRiso. And he puts this letter in the mail, and I get it. It's from the vocation director for Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, hey, why don't we go to lunch? I'm going to be in Phoenix. And so we went to Macayo's, and <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah, because were you thinking about looking at the Marists or diocesan priesthood? Yeah, I suppose I was waiting for God to just put something in my lap. Yeah, just, I'll know. put it in the newspaper and, and see what and comes. So, right, and so he did. Like, God did, right? It was just like, <laughs> and this letter arrives in the mail. It says, hi, I'm John Conley. I'm the director of vacation. So, I mean, I'm very grateful to Father John Conley for reading The Catholic Son. I right. Mean, you know, and it's just, that's how God's providence is, yeah. right? It's beautiful. It's mysterious. To be honest, too, I thought, I thought, well, I've kind of, you know, I did Notre Dame, and now it's time for me to look at something else. I see. Um, but... Father John Conley invited me up there, and he said, hey, we'll even buy you a plane ticket. Yeah. And uh, my spiritual director back then, uh, not a spiritual companion, sure, was a sister, a nun there in Phoenix, you said, you've been talking about this Notre Dame thing for as long as you've been here in Phoenix. Why don't you just go up there and check it out? Yeah. So anyway, once I made a visit here, it felt I was back home. Sure. Like it, was ba- it was family. It was yeah. home. It was... It was uh, I felt like this is exactly where I'm being called. Yeah. So you mentioned that your parents found out about it, not in a typical way, I guess. What was their, <laughs> what was right. their reaction to it, your family's reaction to it? How did people uh, kind of take it once you made that decision? Yeah, I think they, well, they were always very supportive. Yeah, I think, I think my folks, you know, they quickly got on board with the idea. I, I think they were, you know, they've always been supportive of what we want to do the mm-hmm. direction we want to go in so mm-hmm. yeah so they they were pleased i mean my siblings i think um i don't even remember how they learned about it but uh you know they've always been very you know very supportive and good good well and i know that that's not always the case and right. so that's a no, blessing you're right blessing to have that yeah and of course it probably was like coming home in the sense that You'd been to Notre Dame as an undergraduate, but being a seminarian, being in graduate school, that's a different experience than being an undergrad, living in the, the residence halls and all that it goes along with that. What were some of your seminarian days like that helped further confirm that this is where God was calling you? Yeah, I had some great, a great experience in that first year of formation mm-hmm. called the postulancy. Back then it was called candidacy. Mm-hmm. I had great classmates great formators and ministry assignments, ministry experiences. So that first year felt very, very confirming such that I I wanted to petition to go to the novitiate. Mm -hmm. And then the novitiate year is is one year spent in Cascade, Colorado, like at the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, a beautiful mansion. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, with beautiful trails for hiking, and it's a really extraordinary spot. 
And that year is a special year of a lot of silence, manual work, prayer, learning about the history of the congregation, the vows. But it's really about cultivating a spirit of prayer, and it's about it's about looking at one's own own life and understanding oneself better. So it's a lot of interior work. Mm-hmm. And, and that year is, it's a grace, it's, cr- it's crosses too, mm-hmm. it's not always easy, but it's fruitful, and, and that was a special year. Um, and then one petitions, toward the end of that year, one petitions to profess first vows mm-hmm. in Holy Cross, mm-hmm. and that first vow uh, liturgy is, is at the con- conclusion of the novitiate year, and then if the you know if assuming the vows are approved and then one returns to Notre Dame for one's um master of divinity degree mhm mhm and then at some point you move from the 41 year to forever so what were some of the major milestones in that transformation and just the experience of saying i'm i'm really really going to do this yeah, it was um, just a continued confirmation that this is the life to which God is calling me. Mm-hmm. And the joy, the brotherhood, the ministry experiences, the academic life, it all just communicated this is, this is the path that suits me and mm-hmm. this is the path where I can best use my gifts in the service of the Lord and his church. Mm-hmm. And that's a feeling of great joy. And it doesn't, it's not always a perfectly smooth journey. Sure. Um, so back then, the Master of Divinity program was a three-year program. After my first two years of the MDiv, I thought, gosh, this is going really fast. Mm-hmm. And I really want to take time to discern this a little more. Mm -hmm. So I petitioned to do a pastoral year to kind of suspend my Master of Divinity studies and before doing that third year of the MDiv do a pastoral year. So I was sent to uh, St. John Vianney Parish, Mm. also just outside of Phoenix, West West Valley. And um, my pastor there was Father Joe Corpora, who's in campus ministry here now, right, lives yeah. in Dillon Hall. <laughs> and, and so being with the Holy Cross community there at St. John Vianney Parish was an amazing experience of community, small community living, and of ministry, intense, mm-hmm. intense ministry, a very busy place. Yes. It was a new school founded by Father Joe. I mean, just an exciting place to be, a lot going on. And the West Valley was exploding in population. Hmm. And then, practically, you feel like it's you just gotten there. You already have to petition to renew your vows and go back to Moreau for your third year. Yeah. And that's when I thought, well, wait a minute. Like, I think, actually, it'd be, be really great to be able to do a second year here. Mm-hmm. Just so I can, you know, get just as you're getting to know the place, you're already talking about leaving. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Father Joe and my superiors said, okay, you want to do a second year there? Do a second year there. And that second year was extraordinary. I mean... You know, I took on leadership of some activities. My gifts just bloomed. I mean, then I'm, you're, you're growing and now in a relationship. You're knowing more people. Mm-hmm. My Spanish, you know, improved a lot. Yeah, so so that was an extremely, like, confirming time for me. And mm-hmm. then, then I returned to Notre Dame just 
someone who's far more like confident yeah in the path but in my gifts and and then concluded my my and then did my third year of the master of divinity program mm-hmm. yeah and then had the grace of being sent back to that community as a transitional deacon okay you know which which isn't it doesn't it could have been something else yeah. right but but my superiors said gosh you 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 flourished there they could probably use the help and we need a deacon assignment for you so how about that and i said yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so that was a real gift to then be able to go back there after my profession of perpetual vows, mm-hmm. my ordination to the transitional diaconate, and then um, spend a couple of years there as a, as a priest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can move to ordination then. Anything you want to share about just the experience of I mean, final vows and ordination are not finish lines, but they're really important moments. Obviously, a lot has been leading up to this, but then right after that, then you really get into the work and, and getting to do that. So anything about ordination you'd like to share or just some of those early years as a priest, what you learned about yourself? Well, it, what was curious about that time was there were two extraordinary events surrounding my class's final vows and priest to ordination. Okay. We professed final vows on September 1st, 2001. Wow. And that was a very, who knew, would have known that 10 days, right. within 10 days that would happen. And then the the sexual abuse crisis exploded yes. in early 2002. Right. And we were ordained priests in April of 2002. Yeah. So it was an amazing period, actually. It, it was amazing to be in ministry after September 11th mm-hmm. and to be in a parish community around that time and then to be preparing for ordination. So, you know, when a, when a Holy Cross priest is ordained, he typically will have a little holy card image or a little quote that he chooses. And I just felt moved after the September 11th and after the sex abuse crisis and everything that was just exploded at that time. I just um, decided that my image would be a candle mm-hmm. and it would say, you know, from... John's Gospel, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I've, I've always loved John's Gospel in particular, and I felt like that was a timely message. Yeah, that we had we've been seeing a lot of darkness, You're right? But that light shines, and the darkness can't overcome that light of Christ. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah, it's a good, good thing to remember about those days, and a good thing for us to hold on to us now, yeah. uh, hold on to now that we have to can continue to have that hope and. You know, the hope in the cross and what yeah, uh, something that seems like an image of defeat, but yeah, what exactly. God's grace can do exactly. during that time. Yes. Yeah. So what were some of those early assignments you had as a priest? And how did that, that vow of obedience that sometimes I know is can be challenging or can be a grace, how did that factor into your early, early years as a priest? Well, thanks be to God, like the vow of obedience for me has been over and over again a grace. Hmm. And the obedient man will speak of victory, and I speak of victory a lot mm-hmm. in the sense that my first assignment was to St. John Vianney as a seminarian, then as a newly ordained deacon and then priest, and loved that assignment and, and got to spend some summers in Mexico to learn Spanish and came to really enjoy doing ministry in Spanish and and then in 2004, I began, I was assigned to be pastor of St. Joseph Parish here in South Bend. Mm-hmm. 
and would spend nine years there as pastor. Another graced assignment in my life. And, you know, these aren't assignments I asked for, except for the kind of doing a a pastoral experience as a seminarian. Sure, yeah. But St. John Vianney was then cho- was chosen for me. Right? Okay. And then St. Joseph was chosen for me. And and part of the beauty of this, this the vow is is that you you trust that your superiors know your gifts mm-hmm. and and maybe know your gifts more than better than you do mm-hmm. and um, know what you're capable of and that God's will is worked out through their their voice and mm-hmm. their assignment mm-hmm. and that's been my experience praise God I mean yeah. to be pastor of St. Joseph and think well I'm not sure I have what it takes to be pastor you know but then discovering that okay by the grace of God I do yeah and to have served that community there and and what the Lord was able to accomplish there and through the team me and my the, the other team members sure. it was wonderful a team of CSEs of lay people the lay staff we hired and and just the school community there which is wonderful so that was a real blessing and then in 2013 I was assigned to our apostolate in Le Mans France mm-hmm. and Again, like just an amazing grace and, and blessing to work and minister at the church of our congregation's foundation, mm-hmm. where our founder's tomb is, Blessed Basil Moreau. So I'm talking about the church of Notre Dame de Sainte Croix in Le Mans, Our Lady of Holy Cross in Le Mans, France. So I was assigned to be rector of a shrine that I was asked to establish there in mm-hmm. his honor. Mm-hmm. And there was also a parish there at the same site. And so, you know, a year after arriving to be rector, the um, bishop asked my community that I be made pastor as well. Yeah. So I was both pastor and rector of that church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did that from, so t- until 20, 2019. So that was such a, a blessing. And it was for you, you talked about studying French, and studying abroad in France, it was, I mean, there's this re- aspect of returning to home to Notre Dame, but you're also returning home to to France and, and the French roots of Holy Cross. Can you speak a bit more about the purpose of what you were establishing over there and how that was received at the time and, and how things are today? Yeah, it was our congregation's desire since the beatification of Basil Moreau in 2010 Mm -hmm. to make of the Church of Our Lady of Holy Cross, which Moreau himself had built in the 1850s, to make of that church, which then also houses his tomb, a shrine so that pilgrims would have a place to go and and venerate his relics and, and pray at his tomb, and also to kind of promote devotion to him as a man of holiness, as a powerful intercessor, as apostolic missionary, as a man of God and a religious founder. So that was my my task. And it was complicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a parish already there, a, a Holy Cross parish, but it wasn't really understood how a shrine and a parish would occupy the same space. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that the biggest help to me 
in accomplishing all of that was the local bishop mm. who had himself been rector of a shrine and who was just an extraordinary friend to me and to Holy Cross. And he actually visited Notre Dame with me in 2017, which was exciting. But um, he helped me to sort of stay the course. Of course, my Holy Cross community, I had visits from a lot of CSCs from the States. Sure. Would come to visit because it was an important part of our history and our spirituality and everything. We, you know, our men wanted to make pilgrimage there. So, yeah, ma- making a, creating a shrine and everything that goes along with that, mm. it was complicated. <laughs> but no, by the grace of God, it worked. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, and then, and then to be made pastor also clearly helped. Sure. Um, because now I can sort of, I could kind of direct both, both missions there mm-hmm. and, and do so in a kind of holistic way, I guess, or, you know, you know unif- with some uniformity in the same direction. It was, sure. It was very exciting. Yeah, it wasn't on us and them. The shrine wasn't, you weren't paying attention to the shrine at the expense of the local right. people. Like they knew I loved, yeah, and I loved the people of yeah. the community. I, I loved them. I loved their parish. That was exciting to be able to be their pastor. And they knew I loved Basil Moreau mm-hmm. and I loved Holy Cross. Yeah. And that I would be devoted to that as well. And that we could do both mm-hmm. together. And it was exciting to see that play out and and be successful because you know the shrine could only but enrich the life of the parish right and then to invite parishioners to welcome pilgrims was mm. very exciting yeah you know, american pilgrims in particular who'd be hosting parishioners homes for a meal ah. or for an overnight it, it was it was really neat to yeah. see that those connections be made and then to organize a pilgrimage from le mans to notre dame mm in 2017. I think what's really interesting about this apostolate was that it was Soren, a Frenchman, who was sent from Saint-Croix, from that church, to Indiana, and then established Notre Dame. Right. And I always felt like a spiritual son of Soren. Yeah. As a Notre Dame student, right, and everything. And then to have an American go back to France and give himself if I may be so bold as to say, I really wanted to give myself sure. to the French as Soren gave himself to the Americans. Yeah. And Soren embraced the American project so much, mm-hmm. right? And I have to say, I really embraced France, mm-hmm. its culture, its people, its history. I love France and, yeah. and really wanted to devote my life to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that was exciting to almost do in reverse. I mean, yeah. for myself. No ox cart or anything, but you know. <laughs> right, exactly. And then when we, when we organized a pilgrimage from Le Mans to Notre Dame, and I, and I had hired an assistant there, Tiffa Namrel, lots of Americans know her now. Uh-huh. A wonderful person, a great dear friend now. She helped me organize this pilgrimage, but we brought a whole group of parishioners to Notre Dame. Yeah. And, you know, before my father Moreau made one trip to Notre Dame, it was in 1857. And before he did, he went into the crypt of the church at San Juan, and he had there an image of the holy face of Jesus. And he said a prayer there, and he had one of the CSEs, or men back at San Juan, kept a candle burning an oil lamp right. burning in front of that image of the holy face of Jesus during his trip across the sea huh. and his trip to Notre Dame. And so 
the night before we left, we pilgrims walked into the crypt. Wow. We had an image of the holy face there. And a gentleman there named Dominique, we had asked him to keep a candle burning brightly during our trip across the sea. Wow. And we didn't travel on a, you know, <laughs> we traveled on an Airbus. Right, yeah. But, you know. It was a lot easier right. crossing than Father Moreau's was. Right. But I loved the symbolism of that. Oh, my gosh. It's beautiful. It was amazing. Yeah. And then to have these French pilgrims here was so exciting for me because it was the joining of these worlds. Yeah. Which are so dear to me. This this world of Notre Dame here and mm-hmm. my world of Notre Dame de Saint-Croix and Le Mans. Yeah. And, and that was such an amazing gift. And to have those pilgrims be in the Basilica, it was an ordination weekend. Hmm. And I said, you know, when we're in the, that basilica, we're surrounded by home because those windows are from Le Mans. Right. And those bells you hear chiming are from Le Mans. Hmm. So remember that as you're in that basilica, you're home. Wow. Like we're home. We're back in Le Mans. And that was really very powerful for me, for them. It was an amazing pilgrimage. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> I've got chills even just imagining it. So it must have been. I can only think of what it would have been like to be there and to, to have that experience. Well, Father John, you've spoken so eloquently about the love that you've had for all these assignments, these ministries that you've been a part of. What about having to say goodbye? Has that been hard at each juncture? Yes, and thanks be to God, because what a shame it would be to say, you know, if one were to say, oh, thank God. I right, yeah, yeah. That good riddance, yeah. <laughs> no, but every one of these assignments, I didn't want to say goodbye. Mm. It's like, it broke my heart to leave St. John Vianney. It broke my heart to leave St. Joseph Ben. Mm-hmm. It broke my heart to leave France, yeah. right? But God has been so good to me that every one of these assignments has brought joy. Mm-hmm. And that's why the obedient man speaks of victory, yeah. right? I mean, this this allows me to continue to say yes, or encourages yeah. me to continue to say yes, yeah. right? Because, like, what I'm doing right now, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love this ministry of being vocations director and... Some, I know I'll miss this ministry someday, yeah, right? So, yeah. so God's been good to me. Like, yeah, you haven't steered me wrong thus far, so I can keep, right. keep trusting. That's that's a great, great thing to have. Well, let's dive into your present role as director of vocations. All of a sudden, you're on the other side of a conversation. You know that where this all started with Father John Connolly, and now you're in that role, having conversations with young men who are from all different kinds of backgrounds and stories and places. What has been gratifying about those that experience? It's an amazing privilege for me to walk with young men as they are discerning God's call. Mm-hmm. It's just a real gift to listen to them talk about their own spiritual life and how God's grace has unfolded in their lives and and how how they're desiring to answer God's call. That that is such a privilege for me. And a lot of these young men I meet and think, oh my gosh, he's I mean most of them I meet and think he's so further along than I was when I was his age. Oh my gosh, right? I mean, or I'm like thinking he's so much more articulate about it when I, than when I was his age. I never say that part. Right, 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 yeah. No, but um, so it's really, it's beautiful. And then, you know, to travel to, I mean, Notre Dame is in my portfolio. My colleague and I, Father Brendan McAleer, he's, all, he's wonderful to work with. We have, we, have a lay, we have some lay colleagues who are wonderful to work with. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just, you know, my portfolio includes undergraduate and graduate students at Notre Dame, 
And so while I am sort of focused on Notre Dame, I, you know, I meet with a lot of students over coffee or lunch. Um, I also have the occasion to travel because my portfolio also includes men who are in the labor force mm-hmm. who go to different universities, attend different universities. Yeah. So you know, I've traveled to our other apostolates like University of Portland, Stonehill College, King's College, and to parishes and 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 just to people's hometowns. You know, to say, hey, I'm. I'm driving, you know, through Pennsylvania. I'd love to take you to lunch mm-hmm. and so meet in some, you know, of someone's hometown. Mm-hmm. So that's been a real blessing too. And it, yeah, and it's it's so it's a it's wonderful. Even when a person says, "I don't feel that that's my call," or we've discerned together that that's not his, his call. Yeah, there's no like regret. It's sure. it's like it's just so it was privileged and and. Maybe we'll stay in touch. And, sure, but there is also then there's then there's a lot of the satisfaction of a man when you discern with a man. It's a mutual discernment that, yeah, this is the right time. Yeah, and and Holy Cross is the right place. Mm-hmm. What I've learned in this office is that it's all about it's it's God's call, right? Mm-hmm. It's God's call. It's God's work. I get to just see it unfold. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would say that's how we feel about our work here with Faith ND and the podcast that we'll cooperate and 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 be contribute you know contribute where we can lord but ultimately this is your work and there's i guess there's a peace in knowing that i don't have to come up with the next the best idea ever or be the the perfect servant but it's the, god's grace flowing through us that can accomplish far more than we could ever imagine on our own absolutely there's a certain humility in that and freedom in that, mm-hmm. and knowing and saying at the end of the day, praise God, thanks be to God. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 blessed, and I'm also blessed to be on campus again, and to be participate in a small way in our educational apostolate as a priest in residence. Sure, in Morrissey Manor, I love being their priest in residence. I love it. You know, I'm at that age now where I'm like their dad's age. Yeah, okay, <laughs> and. And it's like I I feel like I want to love them and care for them like a like a father. Right? Yeah. And and they're just and I'm I'm very impressed with Notre Dame students. They're they're wonderful. They're they're super smart. Yeah. And they're also <laughs> just like to see them also being spiritual and and finding their path and talking to them about that. It's very it's it's very gratifying to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat to see them grow, develop, and flourish as they discover their own vocations. We discussed that yours wasn't a quote-unquote typical path to Holy Cross and that you didn't come here as as an undergraduate seminarian. And I would imagine sometimes that that might be a hesitation when you're encountering someone who's here for, just came here for undergraduate, but all of a sudden is thinking about becoming a priest. Or you mentioned someone out in the labor force you know, I thought I was going to be an accountant. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to do whatever whatever it is. How do you encourage a young man who might not feel like or might feel like, well, that ship has sailed or this isn't the typical path to priesthood? How do you encourage someone to think about, well, maybe this is exactly how God is calling you in your particular circumstance and scenario? Well, by the time I communicate with a man either like, on the phone or through Zoom or, or in person, either he has reached out to us mm-hmm. or his name has been proposed to us somehow as someone who might be open to this conversation. Okay. And then 
that conversation happens and I can discern with, you know, as I'm speaking with the man, if, if this is the, what stage he is, sure. what stage he is in his discernment of God's call. Mm. So the men who would have that conversation with me would be typically open to, yeah. to discerning a call to priesthood or to religious brotherhood, right? The consecrated life is a Holy Cross brother. And so we'll talk about his relationship with the Lord and with the church, um, his life of prayer, and and what about the priesthood or about religious brotherhood he may find appealing mm-hmm. um, or that that's resonates with him. And sometimes that conversation will lead to me offering that he come for, inviting him for a visit to Morrow Seminary. Now, for my colleague in the office, Father Brendan McAleer, he works with high school youth okay. who might be considering a college seminary. And so he would make the invitation to, to old college, maybe for a visit, our undergraduate seminary right here on campus. So my, I'm speaking with that other age group now and would invite the man over to Morrow Seminary for a mm-hmm. visit. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, can be, that can be clarifying for a man because now he's, he's not discerning the vocations a bit in the abstract. Now he has a concrete, like a group of, a group of people, right, and sure. a place. And now he's, he can discern the postulancy there. And so a man will come up on a visit, and that can be very, very helpful so you know, and then and then see how it it's, it it uh, feels to him. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks after, or we'll we'll talk and see how it's how the experience is sitting with him, and and if he would like to continue the conversation, or perhaps um, receive an application. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've always wondered about your work specifically in vocations. There's, there's always transitions happening within the relationships. And, and what I mean by that is that you're a really important person for a young man coming in considering the seminary. And eventually, you, if he decides that God is, you know, discovers God is calling him to this, eventually you'll hand him on to other members of the community for his ongoing formation. And then you're back out talking to new people. So... Can you talk about that dynamic of establishing, you know, really important relationships and then, you know, for yourself having to let them go a little bit, but also for them to have to let you go? That I, I don't know, just any, anything about yeah. those the relationships that, you know, you could tell us about? Yeah, we, we have a wonderful formation staff at Morrow Seminary. And so we what happens is the mo- the day the man arrives at Morrow Seminary that's when the quote unquote handoff okay happens, <laughs> where um, now he's someone else's responsibility right. <laughs> and and you know what it's like it's okay because then my office is in Morrow Seminary I see them all the time sure you know I had lunch just today with one of the postulants and it's like we're c- crossing paths all the time so yeah. it doesn't feel as um, difficult as it might seem. And then, yeah, you get, you know, you're, you're excited about kind of the next group of men who might might be applying and mm-hmm. might become postulants. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things about that conversation, too, that I have with, with men is I'll ask them the question, like, who is Jesus for you? Mm. Because ultimately, vocation is about 
an encounter with the person of Christ. Right. And I want to hear how how the man has encountered Christ in his life. And and he has to know that it might be all like discernment might all be going on in your head, but which is okay. There's you know there's a place for that, but we also I want to also remind you it's about encounter with the Lord Jesus mm-hmm. and His call, and is His gaze upon you saying, take this next step in your ongoing discernment. Mm-hmm. You know, entering the seminary, entering the the postulancy, or entering the old college program is not so much a decision to become a consecrated brother or a priest, right? but to take a step in discerning, a very intentional step in discerning that call. Mm-hmm. I think that transitions us nicely to our final topic because we all have this universal call to holiness, and that's a lot of what this podcast is about. But it plays out in very different ways, in different lives, in the way that the Lord is calling us. And it's what's been so fun to me about hearing all these stories of guests uh, over the course of our now seven seasons and just hearing the way that God has worked in all these uh, lives and times. Who have been the models of holiness to you that have encouraged you in your priestly life and your Christian life to, to seek after holiness? I think it was a Holy Cross priest who once said, you know you're in the presence of a holy person when you feel holy with them mm-hmm. or something to that effect. And we have had, we have some Holy Cross priests and brothers. I mean, sure, there are those people I look to from, a, you know, from afar, like a JP2 who had such a huge sure. impact on my life. Yeah as someone who eventually became a, holy, a priest, but it was like, I feel like I'm part of that JP2 generation, yeah. right, of priests. So, you know, there are some of those figures out there, right? Um, I've loved reading some of Fulton Sheen's stuff. Like, I'm mm-hmm. re- reading his Life of Christ right now. I read A Priest Is Not His Own, Life Is Worth Living. You know, so there have been these the books I've read or these people who are known to the Catholic world, right? Yeah. Larger than life kind yeah. of figures. Yeah. But I've also like had the grace of knowing some Holy Cross priests and brothers and also, well, why not also lay people who, you know, you, when you're in their presence, you feel holy. Mm-hmm. You feel like you want to be better when you're in their presence. That for me is like a mark of holiness. Mm. I also, I think of the examples of what we would call maybe like ordinary people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of like the woman who does faithfully the flowers at Saint Croix Church, like mm. and and she's there all the time, and she's arranging the flowers, and she's working the sacristy. And she patiently puts up with me who wants to, like, rearrange the sacristy. <laughs> and, you know, and I think of just those people because they demonstrate fidelity, mm-hmm. charity, and a certain just authenticity. And I love that. And I find that I find those to be a mark of holiness. I think it's been very helpful for me in my life to kind of 
realize that I'm not really called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. Right. And, you know, I'm not sure who said it. Some say Mother Teresa. I don't know. You know, I'm driven to success. And I have to keep reminding myself that um, I think more important than success is fidelity. Mm -hmm. And it's it's sort of wisdom that I've enjoyed sharing with students, too, you know, who are so driven to be perfect. Sure. And to remind them, like, you know what? I think we're not called to success. We're, we're called. I mean, su- to be successful is we can strive to do our best. Absolutely. Sure. I, I, I believe in all of that. But I think more importantly, it's like be faithful. Mm-hmm. Be faithful to your daily work, right? Mm-hmm. Your daily effort. Mm-hmm. And I also think that trust in divine providence is a, is a great mark of holiness. Mm. Um, I just read a book by Walter Chiswick called He Leadeth Me, mm-hmm. and it's just an extraordinary book of his experience in Russia. And I think someone who like learns to trust in divine providence so well is also a mark of holiness. I tell the young men in Morrissey that trusting divine providence, I think, gets easier with age Hmm. because I have the blessing of being able to look back and see just how the hand of providence has been at work in my life. Yeah. And it's so powerful. And so, like, I have 50 years of that. (laughs) So then I can just take that perspective and turn it the other way and now just use that perspective as I'm going forward. Yeah. Well, they're only like 18 right. or 19, right? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, looking forward and being told trust is a lot harder for them. Sure, sure. So I think that's, I think I learned a lot of trust in divine providence from Father Moreau in Le Mans, And I've learned it from my brothers in Holy Cross. I mean, this is one of the emphases of our spirituality. And so when, when, when I'm having trouble trusting divine providence, I have a lot of brothers who are ready to remind me of mm-hmm. it. Um, same with hope in the cross. When I'm like carrying the cross and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> they, they, they are there to be like, fruit will be born. Yeah. And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. So that's that one I feel like too with age becomes yeah. easier to believe. Um, so yeah, those are some like marks of holiness for me. And I've been, gr- I've been blessed to encounter some people in my own, in my own life who have demonstrated those and, and lived them mm-hmm. in such a way that I say, like, I want, I want to be like that. Yeah. Like, I want to be better. Yeah, it's always such a boost to our own faith and, and striving to see that, to see I'm not the only one who's trying to do this. And actually, I can learn a lot from, from people who are doing this, not perfectly. No, none of us uh, do it perfectly. But as a final question, if you could share with the audience, what are some things that have worked for you as you're striving towards holiness? I knew a religious sister in Phoenix named Sister Therese. She was, I I suppose, a hermit, and she was like a spiritual director for me for a Mm. time. And she had used this phrase, I don't know if she coined it or found it somewhere else, it was called thanks being. She talked about living one's life in a state of thanks, like giving thanks. And so just as we are human 
humans being, mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. this would be like living as a thanks being. Hmm. And I have found that that perspective that has stayed with me my in my whole life and has helped me, I think, in my path and, and my desire to grow in holiness, right? Of of trying to just give thanks to God at every moment of every day. Thank you for the encounter. Thank you for the beautiful day. Thank you for the gifts given. And when one lives in out of that perspective of thanksgiving, I think it's also a, it grounds one in humility and recognizing that all is gift. Yeah. And also, I think being part of something, a community of people, maybe it's a parish community, is, I find, to be essential in my own path. Because at the end of the day, I, I think of, like, at the end of my life, you know, God willing, I get to the pearly gates, Sure, right? sure. <laughs> like, St. Peter is there. I have this image of just me saying to him, I'm with them. Huh. Like, I'm with these Holy Cross guys. Right. And St. Peter, like, holding the gate, like, he's about to close it. I'm like, oh, I'm with them. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, like, opens it up just a little more, and, like, I just slip in. You know, that's kind of, like, how I feel. Like, like these men, I'm with them. Yeah. We do everything we do together. They have accompanied me and help me along the way. Hmm. And so if I, I know that my holy my growth in holiness is is connected and bound up bound up with their own. Hmm. Yeah. Well thank you. That's a beautiful sentiment. And I feel a deep sense of gratitude and thanks for your time today and your partnership. You've been a great friend of Faith in D and a number of things that we've done and just your overall ministry as a Holy Cross priest. I know you've blessed a lot of people. I mentioned to a couple of people you were coming on the podcast and they were, oh, Father John, they were so glad to know that uh, this was going to be a part of this season. So thanks for your time and, and talking with me today. Thanks so much, Dan, and thanks for all you do. Absolutely. Well, that concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast. We, of course, invite you to rate the podcast and to subscribe to it, any service of your choosing, as well as, if you don't already, sign up for our daily gospel reflection through Faith Indie at faith.indie.edu slash sign up. Thanks for listening, and until next time, you'll be in our prayers. God bless. Mm-hmm.